It's so interesting. You know, I've spoken with the author of Love Languages. I've spoken Mm. with so many experts about attachment styles. No one has brought up this issue of your money type. Welcome to the I Am Podcast. We did it. We did it, Joe. I'm really excited to show you guys the new branding and to have you here for our first episode with this new branding. It feels like it's been a long time coming. It feels like there are still so many hoops that we have to jump through to finalize everything because let me tell you, it is not a cakewalk being able to change your username on Instagram if you happen to have that little blue tick next to your name. It's such a headache and it's so first world, but we will get there. And as I just said to Jordan, we were just having a bit of a team powwow, team duo powwow, and we both agreed that we just have to rip the Band-Aid off, go for the new branding, get started, and the other little bits and pieces will just fill in around that because sometimes done is better than the perfect execution, if that even exists. So. You're here. I'm so excited for this episode as well to share this conversation with you. I adored today's guest. I adore present tense. Uh, And I think it's a really, really helpful conversation. But before we get into that, a little bit about the new branding. So we've moved away from the old branding from the fray. As you likely know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, we are still keeping thefray.com to house our resources like the blueprint and surviving separation. I still love the branding. I still love the website, but it definitely felt like it was time for a bit of a glow up here on the podcast. The podcast is absolutely my main focus. It's the thing that brings me so much joy. It is my job. And it's more than a job. It's definitely a passion for me. And that doesn't mean that I am the world's best podcaster by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm definitely passionate about these curious conversations. And I really do believe that when we understand ourselves more, we then can create deeper connection to the people that are in our lives and live a more purposeful, more fulfilled life. And I think it all stems from being curious about why we are the way we are. When I was thinking of rebranding the podcast, I wasn't sure what I was going to call it. I didn't know what name I wanted to use and all of that stuff. But I kept coming back to this, you know, these the simple sentiment of I am. Like, why am I the way I am? I am a mum, I am a woman, I am a partner, I am a friend, I am curious, I am hopeful, I am a believer, like all of these kind of I am statements kept really just popping in for me. And I loved the idea of titling the podcast I Am because it then lends itself to conversations that we're having like with today's guests, you know, today's guest, excuse me, I am 
teaching you why money is a feminist issue or I am letting you know that budgets don't work. I just loved the way that the name of the podcast could also lend itself to different titles of episodes. I think that there is so much power in filling in that gap of I am fill in the blank. You know, you get to choose who are you, how are you, what are you focusing on? And sometimes it will just be I am full stop. I just am because I am. And then other times you're going to have to remind yourself like, I am strong. I am capable. I am here. And sometimes it's going to be things like, I am going to be vulnerable. I am scared. I am showing up anyway. And so this is where we are. We are here at the I Am podcast with Kylie lately. So I am letting go of my old last name. And you've probably heard in previous episodes, I've had interesting feelings surrounding that. You know, at first I really felt it was very important to keep the same last name as my boys, but my thoughts and feelings surrounding that have changed and moved beyond, beyond that. And so I'm desperate to change my name on Instagram, but the powers that be at Instagram do not make it easy. Um, So that's like a work in progress. I'm trying to get the information on how to do it, but it seems like anyone who's been able to do it and keep their verification. And at this point, I don't even want to keep my verification. I'm like, please take the blue tick away and just let me change my name. The only thing I really don't want to lose is the whole account because it feels like to say a lot of work in an Instagram account is it just feels nonsensical because it is just a social media platform but it has been so much more for me over the last nearly 10 years it has had so many different iterations i'm sure there will be at least one person listening right now who started following when my account was all about getting fit for my wedding in my early 20s and It's such a conduit for connection and I really value the following that I have there and it's not the world's biggest following, you know. I don't have millions of followers, thank goodness, Uh, but I feel like I have deep connections there with some people and so I don't want to lose that account, but I'm so ready to change the name. So I'm going to be Kylie Lately Um, and yeah. I'm excited to bring you all on this journey, this new iteration. As I said, it just felt like the podcast needed a bit of a glow up because the podcast was really created uh, in its second iteration during COVID. And, you know, during COVID times, I was going to say it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, but for me, it was just the worst of times. I really wasn't in the best place, but I was doing the best I could with what I had Um, And so this all just feels really, really good and really exciting and a little bit scary as well. We've got some big goals for the podcast, but I won't bore you with those details right now. What I will tell you about, though, is not boring. It is today's podcast guest. So Melissa Brown is not your typical money or business gal. She is an ex-accountant. She is an ex-financial advisor and a multimillionaire. Despite starting from less than nothing in her early 30s after giving all of her money away to charity, Mel is now a financial educator, best selling author, global speaker, and a multi business owner. 
Mel sees her job as helping people to reduce their financial overwhelm and to understand why they behave the way they do with their finances and to really help them to design a life that they are excited about. I know that money can be such a taboo topic. Even at times during my conversation with Mel, she would talk about things and I would like scrunch my face up and be like, oh, I don't even want to look at that. I don't want to know about that. But also at the same time, leaning forward and going, I desperately need to think about this and I desperately need this information. And it really is such good, such helpful information. There were times when Mel was speaking where I was nodding furiously and you'll hear me talk about that. There's a moment in our conversation where Mel is like, sorry, that was my soapbox moment. And I was all but hands in the air, like preach to the choir, sis, we need to have this conversation. And I know there are so many women listening who need to hear this as well. This is going to be one of those episodes that I cannot encourage you enough to copy the link, take a screenshot and share it with the people in your life. I wish, 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 wish that I had considered this stuff in my 20s. I wish I'd considered this when the kids were younger, but it's stuff that we need to know now and we need to shine a light on it. And Mel does such a phenomenal job at that. She really cuts through to the heart and delivers information in a logical, but also um, palatable, palatable manner. And I think that that is key. Make sure that you check out our show notes for the resources that Mel touches on during our conversation. Again, uh, before we start this conversation, well, not again, but before we dive into this conversation, I also want to make it super clear that this is not uh, individual financial advice. This is just a conversation about the broad topic of money and women in general, and you should always seek out your own individualized support. Mel does have some amazing programs available, and I'll let her tell you about them. I hope that you love this episode. Thank you for pressing play on the I Am Podcast. Let's get into it. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mel, thank you for agreeing to sit down with me and have this chat on the topic of money. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Of course. I was just saying before we hit record that I was really excited when I came across your podcast. I've been listening to episodes and nodding along and like, yep, yep. Okay, Kylie, it's time to focus on these things. (laughs) Well, that's good. If I've already got you thinking that way, that is absolutely perfect. I imagine that a lot of people have resistance to conversations surrounding money and not even just conversations, right? Even just thinking about it. I feel like it's one of those topics that for a lot of us, it's like, oh gosh, head down, bum up, avoid, 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 and just hope for the best. 
Absolutely. And it's, I think it comes with a couple of things in how we've been brought up as well. You know, a lot of it is, it's just not polite to talk about money. You know, it's not a polite dinner topic. Uh, and even for some of us, our parents taught us that, oh no, we don't, or they didn't talk about money. So therefore we presume that it's not okay to talk about. Um, and often if we carry shame or guilt ourselves, it's not something we want to naturally bring up in a conversation. Um, plus, I think that the that COVID removed the apathy we had around money because suddenly we had to confront the fact that, oh, my gosh, if work disappears or if I'm not able to do this thing that I used to, what do I do? But before that, when times were good, we kind of didn't need to talk about it as, as much because it simply was there and it happened. So I think there's lots of things that play into it. I'm sure the pandemic absolutely brought it to the forefront of so many people's minds. Mm. And often it does take something like that, something kind of cataclysmic. I know for me, it was going through a divorce and going like, oh gosh, like I've always allowed myself to, you know, I mean, I've always had my own bank account. I've always made my own money, all of that, but I definitely outsourced a lot of big decisions. Yeah. And then when that is taken away, a big change in life and you have to reevaluate and go, oh my gosh, actually I've got to learn to do all of these things. And that is when so many, I guess, of your subconscious beliefs can come to the surface and you realize, oh, I outsourced that because that's what my mum did. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny how you don't question it. You just do it because it's what, and it's that internal, you don't even think to look at it. It's just, but this is what was modeled for me. Therefore, I'll just do it. And it's interesting that you say that about divorce because so many women I see in my programs or I've talked to when I was a financial advisor who were in that changeover. And when you've been a passenger financially, and I say a passenger because someone else is driving and you kind of, you know where you're going, you can see, but you're not taking the wheel yourself. You, you are capable of driving, but it's like anything. If you've not been taught or if you haven't done it for a while, then when you step into that driver's seat, it can be nervous and it can be something that you feel unsure about or that you really aren't interested and don't want to. So it is that change of mindset and that reframe to go, you know what, I'm capable. It's just I'm going to have to choose to be in this driver's seat. Even if someone else is in there at the moment, I'm going to say, hey, maybe we can switch this out occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's definitely worth bringing our attention to that experience of being a passenger. Even if you're contributing, I think a lot of women find themselves contributing, but yes, taking more of that passive role, knowing that they've got access to it, understanding it to a certain extent, but also, I guess, not trusting ourselves yeah. and of course that's not everyone's experience but in no, the conversation no. I've had for you know a lot of women mm. it is because as you said it was role modeled and I guess too like growing up when I think about high school there wasn't a lot of education about the re- the reality of dealing with finances as an adult yeah so you get a little bit of it in math you get a little bit of it in economics which is Really not the day to day how to manage your finances. You know, I get, I, if I had my hands on the school system, I know we get taught sex education. I think financial education is just as important as sex education. You know, we get, we talk about uh, catching an STD during sex education. That's what's something that you can catch in with your finances. You know, sex, uh, sexually transmitted debt is real. It's something that men and women can walk away from a relationship and have this debt 
have this issue uh, that they didn't realize they had simply from being in a relationship. So I think whilst we don't have that, it's actually up to us to provide that financial education to ourselves as adults and to realize we're very capable, uh, money's not good or bad, and to realize that we've grown up with all these messages, whether it's parents, it's the media, um, oh, it's the media. <laughs> so the media talk to men and, and women differently. So that Starling Bank research discovered that. Um, to men, they say that money makes you more of a man, which is problematic in itself, right? But to women, the, the message is you need to be more frugal and spend less. So two-thirds of articles around money to men and women, they're the two messages. So is it any wonder that women are carrying messages around, oh, I'm an overspender and I just need to spend less and concentrate on that. And the men are, well, I just need to concentrate on bringing in the income, handling the finances, because clearly she's going to be an overspender. And money's the number one thing couples fight about. Uh, we fight about it at least twice a month. Like there's all this baggage already when it comes to money. And it's such BS because if you go to the research There was been longitudinal studies done with Warwick Business School and others where both men and women, when it came to investing, outperformed the index, and women were and the women actually outperformed the blokes. So when it comes down to it, we are supremely capable, but we just don't confident. We don't have the knowledge and the understanding. And for me, that's the easy stuff. Yes, and you speak about your money story and your money type. Mm. So I'm guessing that a bit of our money story comes from that upbringing and then from socialization and the media, you know, the messaging that we are absorbing, the water we're swimming in. Yes. But what does your money type mean? So if the money story is the nurture side, it's what we've grown up with, then I I see money type as the nature side. It's how we inherently behave when it comes to our finances. So in the same way that I am introverted, um, you know, I I love the the analogy that um, was was given uh, by wasn't Seth Godin? It was oh gosh, one of those marketing gurus. Uh, so that he wakes up in the morning with his five gold coins as an introvert, and every time he has a social interaction, he loses a gold coin, and so he's depleted at the end of the day. My husband's the reverse. He wakes up with none. He's he goes and buys a coffee in the morning because that's his first social interaction and his first co- his coins. So he's filled up by the end of the day. I can be situationally extroverted, but I am going to be burnt out if I try and do that all the time. And it's it's the same with money. You know, I could give you examples around exercise and food or relationships. You know, there's five different love languages. If we look at different parts of our lives, we can see that we don't all behave the same. Yet when it comes to money, we seem to think there's this one size fits all. Everyone needs a budget, save 20% of your income, buy a house and pay it off. Like that's the key to getting ahead when it's actually not right for all of us or even many of us, some of that. It's interesting, as you were speaking then, Mel, I was thinking, because we don't have open conversations often, Mm. a lot of us are ignorant to the fact that there are so many different money types. Yeah. And I know myself having, you know, now been in a different relationship in my mid thirties, that's been eye opening because again, it's like, oh, I just assumed that things were done this way from my early twenties because Uh you only have that info 
when you're intimately linked with someone and you're doing life with them. So mm-hmm. yes, it's your parents, what you what you perceive your parents to be doing. And then perhaps the next time you're having really honest conversations could be with the person you're doing life with. And then if that changes, then you do life with someone else and you go, oh, hang on. Like we are really all so different the way that yeah. we think and feel about money. And it's probably why, you know, in relationships, I've got a, a good friend who was looking at his partner going, oh God, he just does money wrong. And I say, well, no, honey, he doesn't. He just does it differently to you. And because they are such different money types, um, they just presumed that the other one, like he presumed his partner was reckless with money when his partner's a creator money type and his partner hated words like lack. For him, it was if he'd said to his partner, go and see how you could find an extra $1,000 next month. He would be so lit up and excited by that. But if you said to him, you have to stop spending $1,000 next month, he'd almost go and spend it just to you know, because he hates lack so much. It's so interesting. You know, I've spoken with the author of Love Languages. I've spoken Mm. with so many experts about attachment styles. No one has brought up this issue of your money type. And as you said, if we're typically on average fighting with a partner twice a month, that's every fortnight potentially having a fight over finances do you think like our money type needs to be as considered as our attachment type? Oh, absolutely. And I think by doing that, it's, it's, and I know you and I, when we talked uh, before we started recording, we said we wanted to have a curious conversation. For me, there's so much judgment when it comes to money. When you're looking at things like money stories and money type, you can have that curious conversation where most of us want to be seen. We want to be known. Um, so to for your partner to know you in this way, without judgment, um, to be curious about each other's money type and money story means that we can understand and know each other better. And through that, we can feel uh, safer and more understood when it comes to our finances. And then there's this threshold, I imagine, for a lot of people to cross where it's extreme vulnerability to show that side of yourself and potentially some shame because we're not having these conversations and maybe we're not quote unquote doing it right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if I was to say to the average person, go and have a conversation about money, they'd instantly go to where they think they did it badly. Oh, I've got some credit card debt. God, she does. She want me talking about that. Oh, I don't even know where my super or retirement funds are. Oh, I can't believe that I don't know that. I've been intending to start investing. Oh, what if people ask me about that? Like there's a lot of, there can be shame and guilt. Or I've talked to other people who are doing really well and they don't, they feel a bit of shame around that because they don't want to make others feel bad because they're doing so well and they can see that the others aren't doing so well and they don't want to put that onto them. Like it's such this twisted toxic it really is or it can be it's so fraught with I guess it's fraught with wanting to protect yourself but also wanting to protect relationships sometimes because it can bring in different elements and just recently I was on a walk with a girlfriend and we had a really honest conversation about the money that we've made Mm. and you know it was a real celebration and it was so nice to hold that space for each other. Yeah. I have felt that there are other times in life where it is a really fraught conversation and I have felt like I've got to be very careful 
who I have those chats with because, yeah, it's vulnerable on your side, but also you don't want to, I guess, trigger someone else or make someone else feel a certain way. There's a lot of projection happening when it comes oh, to chat yeah. money. Definitely. And yet there's not with so many other things. Like as women particularly, we can talk about so many things and that money is one of those things. But with the different money types it's and money stories, it's a beautiful way of being able to start the conversation. And I don't want to I don't want to stop there. But it's a beautiful way of starting the conversation to then lead you on to the conversation like you had with your girlfriend because you feel safe. Um, and it's interesting as well. I'm a big believer in boundaries. Like I, I'm of the Brene Brown school where, you know, boundaries are the key to actually having that, that really healthy, uh, life. And I think the same is true for your finances. So I have those same conversations where I'm very open about my finances or different things or my business with some great girlfriends, but I'm not going to have that same conversation with my mother, for example because she's very conservative. She grew up very differently and she's always going to go, oh, is, is that safe? Are you sure you should be doing that? Oh, how are you going to make money that way? She's always going to come in with that angle versus going and having those really juicy chats with someone else that I know will get it. Um, and yes, I might talk to my mom about other things, but they're going to be lighter versus those chats. And I think that's where it's really important to understand that you're not going to have the same money conversations with everyone and that's okay. But what we don't want to do is have that door so firmly shut that we won't have that conversation with anyone. You mentioned the creator money type. Mm. Could you talk me through a few of the actual archetypes? I think it would be really interesting. Absolutely. So I believe there's four uh, and most of us are hybrids of those four. So it's so very few of us would be one pure thing. Uh, so the creator money type is like they believe that uh, their ability to create, their ability to manifest is the key to their success. So words like abundance is really um, important to them. Words like manifesting is really important to them. Um, they, you know, they are most at risk of get-rich-quick schemes, but their ability to, uh, oh, we should go here and do this thing, and for other people will be looking at them going, you are mad and that is not going to work, but they absolutely see it and can go there. So they're the dreamers. They're the, you know, uh, Steve Jobs would be the perfect example of a creator, um, but they're not necessarily doers. <laughs> so they they have these great big picture, we should go here, and they'll risk the house on it. So for them, having them be safe and having those safe assets, while at the same time allowing them to be risky with some things, having them uh, automate so much of their life so it's just happening in the background, but then going and investing over here is a way for them to be really safe, but also still lean into that innate creativity that they have. So that's one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
a relator is another one. So they're the ones where they're the most that are going, the, you're going to hear them say things like, oh, you know, it's just not right to have too much money yourself. Like, wouldn't you just want to spend that on someone else? You know, they're the ones where, when there's a campaign, they're giving all their money away. Like they're the rescuers. They're the ones most at risk of sexually transmitted debt because when they get a partner, they just want to love on them. And sure, honey, I'll just say, sign that because I believe in you. So to all, in order to captivate them, it's about making the goal emotional and the accountability social. So their ability to network and collaborate is one of their greatest strengths. You'll see them in uh, service industries a lot. So giving back is a real strength. But it's about having them put their own oxygen mask on first so that they can go and, and help others. So if I was to say to a relator, you know, in order to, you really need to maybe think about getting your own home so that you have that safety net. They're going to go, oh, I don't know. Whereas if you said, what if you were to create a haven where it could be somewhere where your friends or your family could come and feel safe and secure and so that you had the equity and the security so that you could give back in that way, they might go, oh, that sounds cool. So it's about creating that uh, that emotional connection. The next one is a discerner. Uh, which I'm the, I'm quite high in this one. So for me, it's all about ideation. So strategic thinking and the ability to think is kind of the key to my success. So it doesn't mean I'm book smart. I can also be street smart. And so I'm, I'm at that critical thinker. I'm the strategic one that's kind of thinking around corners and coming up with plan A, B, C. I'm most at risk of not doing something just because everyone else is doing it. So even if something's the right thing to do, if everyone else is doing it, I don't want to do it. Uh, that also, I'm also most at risk of paralysis by analysis. So I will just sit there and spin my wheels and keep overthinking it and not actually taking action. But my superpower is my ability to think uh, and to strategize and to come up with different solutions. And then uh, for me, I use my work, a hybrid type to make that happen. So the work is the final one. My husband is such a strong worker. So your ability to work is such a superpower. So you are a doer. Um, so, you know, you're the sort of person that you are not scared of hard work. And on the weekend and at holidays, you're probably looking for jobs. You know, you are, you just want to, you just want to keep going and keep busy. My husband will never retire. He is most frustrated when he looks at the other worker types and can't understand how they're further ahead than him yet they don't work as hard. Like that drives him absolutely nuts. So personal exertion is his thing, but that can also be a weakness because if you're only relying on personal exertion and not on investing and not on making sure your bills are paid and making sure those other good things are happening, then that's super problematic. So it's making sure again, that you are investing and not just relying on personal exertion. So you can kind of see if a discerner was was paired up with a worker, they could really butt heads or a relator and a worker, you know, the empath and the doer. It's like, why? And I had a couple and I remember distinctly when COVID happened, they said that understanding each other's money type saved them so much angst because they had a nanny and she just didn't want to let the nanny go because she felt like it was unfair. Whereas he's like, we just need to look after the family. We just need to be smart and safe here. And he just looked at her going, you're too soft. And he looked, she's looking at him going, you're too hard. But they came together going, 
and he said to her, I know where you're coming from. You're a leader. You just want to rescue her. And she said, I know where you're coming from. You're just being strategic. You want to look after our family. So they agreed on a compromise of instead of it being three days a week, it was one day a week with it shutting off after six months. And in that way, because they came at it with curiosity, they understand, stood each other. They didn't judge each other. And so they were able to make great financial decisions that they both felt good about. Those archetypes are such an unlock. I'm sitting here being like, yep, I know exactly <laughs> exactly my type. I know exactly the type of So who do you think you are, Oh, Kylie? no, no. <laughs> oh, look, I am a jump in the net will appear. I am definitely yes. a creator yep. and yep. I was just nodding along. But even as you were explaining the other archetypes, Mel, I was like, yeah, I can see so clearly people yep. I've known and where they would fit. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, this is such a beautiful unlock to accessing conversations in a really safe way. Yes. To and be that's able the case. That's, yes. Yeah. Yes. To be able to recognize that each archetype is duplicitous, you yes. know, you've got your pros, you've got your cons. Yep. It's a really beautiful way of presenting it to someone and having the conversation, whether it is your romantic partner, whether it's your friend, your parents, whatever it might be, and going like, oh, what type do you resonate with the most and where are your strengths in that? It just makes it a very, very uh, rich and I think fair conversation yeah. to have, even if there isn't um, equality in, say, the financial amounts that each person has. It just makes it feel like a very, very fair place to start. So I I love that. And it's it's a beautiful way as well of you both being able to look at it and understand where you're coming from. But also uh, there's no, it's understanding as well. There's no one that's better than the other. And I'm asked that all the time, which, which one's it better to be? And the answer is none of them. It's best to understand yours and then figure out how to turn it into a superpower, how to unlock the strengths and how to create strategies so that the basement behaviors in the words of like the Gallup uh, words or this, the weaknesses, how can we minimize the impact that that has on your finances? Yeah. So, so helpful. Now, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned how men and women are often spoken to or receive messages in a different way, Mm. just because of our genders. And I've heard you say in your podcast, which as I said up top, it's a brilliant podcast. It's called Uncensored Money. I've heard you speak about how money is a feminist issue. Mm. And I know it's such a big issue and we don't have time to get into all of the <laughs> ins and outs of it today. Yep. But just up top for our listeners, given that they are predominantly female, mm. could you share with them why money is a feminist issue? So I believe that it's a feminist issue for so many reasons, but it's empowering. Uh, so, so I see too many women uh, deciding that they want to give back in time or deciding that they, they're going to give away their power to their partners by not having anything to do with the finances. And yet by having that financial agency, by having that financial independence, we're able to give back meaningfully, but also we're able to create agency and autonomy and independence for ourselves. And the alarming stats are there is a wage gap. There is a superannuation gap. Uh, There are all of these gaps that exist between 
men and women, not to mention that women over 55 are the greatest at risk of homelessness, never mind immigrant women over 55 or Indigenous women over 55. Now, in Australia at the moment, there are over 450,000 women in their 40s, one payday away from homelessness. Like It is frightening and it's extraordinary. Um, Recent stats are that if a woman earns more than her male partner, her risk of DV goes up by 30%. So it's not even women that are at lack. It's women that we look at and go, oh my gosh, she must have everything because she's got, she's earning, but that can be problematic. And with uh, relationship breakdown being more than 50%, it's just so important as women that we actually have a voice around this that we choose to do something about our own finances, but also that we understand that there is power in knowing this and choosing to do something about it. Because if we believe that we can be great investors, which the research backs that up, then we can have choice and we can do something about those stats. And we actually can have that change, not just in our own life, but in the lives of our community and policy and more. And I know the spending power that we have. You know, if every woman in Australia or the world decided through their super that they were going to invest ethically, for example, that the change that that would force would be massive. You know, we think we don't have power, but we actually do. And sometimes we're just not even thinking about it. I mean, I remember when I fell pregnant with my boys, I was 26, 27, and Super just didn't cross my mind in terms of I knew I would be stepping away from the workforce. I would be stopping Mm -hmm. work because I had newborn twins. I would be home with them. I wanted to take off at least a year if we could manage to do it. But I never had a conversation at all with anyone surrounding, oh, is it my right to ask for contributions to my super? Whereas now, Mel, fast forward, I'm turning 36 this year. And if I was to fall pregnant again, I'd be having conversations about, okay, so who's making the contributions to my super if I'm expected to be the primary carer? Like, I just think, I often think, you know, and it's one of those things like biologically, we're kind of designed to have kids a bit younger, but mentally I would be having such a different experience this time around with the info that I know. And of course, having gone through a divorce and all of these interesting things popping up, Mm. it just makes me so much more adequately informed to really advocate for myself. Yeah. And it's, I love that you've brought up the topic of super um, because that is part of the feminist issue and part of the reason why that super gap exists you know, I used to, when I was a financial advisor, I would talk to couples all the time that was in that position of I've just had babies or I'm thinking about having babies or I've got kids. And I and I am all about choice. So I've chosen to be purposefully child-free. I love that I have that choice today. Which reminds me, I want to have you back on the podcast to chat about being child-free rather oh, than childless. Absolutely. And <laughs> okay. I think that's a really important distinction. I always, I always am very purposeful how I say that. So I'm, I'm very, um, I'm an advocate for choice. If you want to go back to work early, I am an advocate for that choice. If you want to stay home with your bubs, I'm an advocate for that choice. If you want to be single, I'm an advocate for that choice. What I'm not an advocate for is the biases that come with the choices that we've made. 
So for example, when I would have those couples, almost always this would be a conversation with heterosexual couples. Homosexual couples would be a completely different conversation that interestingly, this didn't fall into. But I would say, so it talk to me about childcare and your decision to leave to one for one to stay home. And it would either be she's chosen that or it wasn't worth her going back to work. And if it was the latter, I would say curious. So talk to me about that. And off the next line would be, it was a, it was more than half of the wage. And so my next question was, well, curious. I didn't realize it was just one of you having the baby. Wouldn't it be a percentage of both of your wages? And oftentimes they'd not even thought of that. So I'd work out the percentage of both of their wages, which was often less than 20%. And they would be aghast at that because it would be different conversation entirely. But then the next thing I'd say was, well, tell me about super, what's going on with that? Because if you're in your 30s and if you have a sort of a a three, say three to four year super break and you're on an average wage of say $60,000, $70,000, that's kind of 80 grand that you've potentially missed out on. But what we forget is we compound that over 35 years, that 80 grand can then, if that was in super over 30 years, suddenly we're talking six to $700,000. And that is worth a completely different conversation of either, cool, maybe I can afford to go back to work if I'm thinking that because I preferred that, or if I really want to stay home and that's my choice, how could we super split? Because I'm only, you're only able to go to work because I'm staying home. So let's talk about splitting your super, which we're able to do. Or let's talk about making an after-tax contribution to me as so that I can get the co-contribution. Or let's talk about you making a co, because you're on a high income, making a contribution to me so that you get the rebate. And so many times I've suggested this and it's been said back to me, oh, but she'll get it if we split anyway, or she'll get it down the track anyway. And the answer is not you necessarily. Don't. <laughs> you don't. Exactly. Oftentimes a woman will go either I'll take the house, you take the super, or it's just all muddied. And and I've seen too many women go, you know what, just take it. I can't be bothered because this is just too hard and too emotional and I don't want to fight. So you want to get it then. And and I liken it to if you were having a, if just say one was earning and one wasn't and everything was going into their account there should be some money going to you for the expenses. You, don't, you shouldn't be putting your hand out all the time. If it's really joint money, let's make it joint money. Let's actually transfer it to my bank account and let's transfer it to my super. I am nodding furiously. <laughs> oh, but I like I want to reach through the screen and squeeze you and be like, yes, louder, louder for the people in the back. Say it again. I have been sitting here nodding furiously through your soapbox moment, Mel, because Yes, I, I've had a front row seat to very, yeah. very uh, confronting moments because you do think, oh, should we separate? It will unfold in this way. And it doesn't, no. you know, and people don't have these conversations where, you know, one person can think, oh, I'm taking time off work and it's a contribution to the family and it is as important as financial contributions, but the other person doesn't view it that way. No. And it's not as simple as, oh, okay, we've decided to separate. Let's equalize here and super split. And now, and, you know, 
for a lot of people and for a lot of men in particular, from what I understand, super will be the hill that they will die on. Mm -hmm. They will fight you and fight you and fight you. And so I just, I can't, not along more. I can't highlight it more. <laughs> I look like a little like da- dashboard doll while you're talking because I'm like, yes, yes. Everyone who is in a relationship right now have this conversation and please yeah. know, like, please know that taking time off work to raise children, you have to have these conversations. Yeah, I, I, I cannot agree more. And what I'll do is we'll give you a link for your show notes and in it we'll put the money types quiz but we'll also we created a worksheet with calculators that will actually step you through uh what super you would be missing out on compound it to see what that looks like but also look at what if I could make a plan to catch up because I've talked to women in their you know 30s 40s 50s who are like well I missed out on that so can I catch up and what would that look like and then that's a new conversation with your partner or yourself as a single to say, great, I might not be able to catch up in its entirety, but how could I make a plan to start to catch that up? I love that. It kind of reminds me of that quote of like, when was the best time to tree, to plant a tree yes. 20 years ago? When's the next best time? Right now. And yep. so often we have this sunk cost fallacy of like, oh no, too much time has passed. I've lost too much. But really, we do have an opportunity to improve things for ourselves from the moment that we decide to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think uh, there are so many uh, stats that I could give around waiting now versus, sorry, starting now versus waiting in 10 years. Because it's not just that I would have to contribute more later on, because again, I don't have that compounding interest in my favour. So the earlier you start, the less you have to contribute because then the the time in that investment will actually reap you rewards. So if you're thinking, but I don't have enough, your twenty dollars a week is enough. You know, two hundred dollars a month is enough. You want to start with what you have, and then again, you know, I've got. I find as women, we're great at at finding ways to cut costs, but not necessarily great at ways to find more money. Um, and we saw that when the pandemic happened, when so many of us grabbed 10K out of a super because we were allowed to. Men, 60, uh, two-thirds of men spent that on sports bet. The, uh, the uh, two-thirds of women spent it on clothes and shoes. That's the stats from Ilion's research, So, which is, for me, staggering. But part of it was because we don't know how to find more income. So again, I'll put it a free uh, in the show notes around. I've, I have a free resource called 50 Ways to Find 10K in 12 Months. And sometimes it's about saying, well, I can't find any more money for this. But what if you were to go and find different ways that don't necessarily mean getting a second job or having lots of hours? And if you're a breastfeeding mom, you could be doing surveys and earning a lazy extra 50 bucks a week just from doing that while you're breastfeeding. Like there's so many ways that we could earn extra income. We just don't know how. I love that you're shining a light on all of these topics. There was one more thing I wanted to ask you, but it's such a big topic and I'm sure that you've got podcasts we can link to on this. So maybe just Mm. one thought from this topic, but why do budgets not work? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) And I hope that people are listening are loving this question too, because they don't work. So the budgets don't work in the same way that diets don't work. Um, So all the research is that diets won't work for you long-term. It's super strict. And then 
you get to the end of that and you'll bust out. And often you put on more weight than you did when you first started. Instead, it's about eating well and moving well and just having that great lifestyle. And it's the same for diet. So a professor, uh, emeritus professor from the University of Bristol, uh, unexpectedly discovered this. Uh, so her name was Elaine Kempson when she was doing research on other things. And I already knew it. Like I'd already been talking about that, but I loved that there was research to back it up. Well, you're a discerner. Exactly. For me, I'm always coming back to, we're here, but where's the data? I'll that away. Put that in my spreadsheet. (laughs) I know. You can pick me for a discerner a mile away. Um, But the reason it doesn't work is because the same way that diets don't work. So what works? Being Investing well, spending well, setting up multiple bank accounts, automating, understanding your money type, figuring out the money habits that are right for you. Uh, getting really excited about goals and being prepared to suffer in the short term for them because you're excited about them. So it's a messier approach, but in my experience, it's a transformational approach versus a try to do something for the short term and at the end of that period of time, actually being in a worse place than when you started. You're just a breath of fresh air. I know that you've got. I love hearing that. (laughs) You are. I've got. I know that you have so many resources available. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about some of the offerings that are available right now? Yes. So, as I said, those freebies I'll put on the the show link so that you can just grab those and and go. We're also having a couple of webinars. Uh, So, again, these are freebies. One on debt, which I know is such a big thing at the moment with interest rates increasing. And one on what are the, what are some great, easy, simple financial habits that it means that I can have choice tomorrow. So there are a couple of free webinars that are all to do with the launch of something called the My Financial Adulting Plan. So it's an eight week course that over the eight weeks moves you from who you are. So we spend two weeks on your money story and money type and setting that up where you're at. So you create your very own financial strategic plan. So you face where you're at, where you want to go, and then start to figure out a plan to get there. What are the habits that are right for you? And then how are you going to do that? So three weeks on investing. So property, shares, and business in this extraordinary community of over 2,300 women and some of their partners and kids that are all learning and growing and sharing their stories together. I need to do this. I need to do your eight-week financial adulting program. Oh, it's extraordinary. And the reason I can say that is because the transformation I've seen, the, the stats we've gathered uh, around debts paid off, credit cards closed, properties bought, businesses started is transformational. Amazing. We will have all of those links in our show notes. As I've mentioned a couple of times now, you also have your podcast, Uncensored mm. Money. We will link to that as well. And we'll also pop a link to your Instagram Mel, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.